Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. Uh, hope you're doing great tonight. Uh, it's episode 116. And actually, this week is our fifth five-year anniversary, Dave, by the way. Wow. Yeah, we've been doing this for five years. Can you imagine? Uh, awesome guest tonight. I, myself, am a huge fan. Uh, I love your music. Love your guitar playing. Um, and uh, Dave Navarro, thanks for, for thank you, thank you for having me, guys. I, I yeah. really appreciate it. It's nice. Oh, no problem. I we we're sorry we're late, guys. We had a few technical issues. That's why my microphone sounds like shit. So we're just gonna go with it, and uh, and Mark will figure it out later. I'll figure it out later. Whatever. Um, hope everybody's has a drink tonight. Cheers. Whatever you're drinking. Um, Get some nice water. Since we are live and we go for a rather long time, there may be moments where I'll have to step away if you don't mind. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's that's fine. Has that happened before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where guys bathroom, are like, I, I got to go to the bathroom. Hang on. Okay. Oh, hang on. I got to get another uh, another drink of something. Yeah, or... that's going to happen. So yeah. I'm, I'm yep. predicting that. Yep. That's fine. That's okay. okay. Cool, cool, cool. We're good. But that is the magic of live. Yeah. That's true. You said you you like the live. I love the live. radio. I think program. I think it's I think it's just it's just much more exciting because you know you're actually talking to the audience in real time, and there's no there's no opportunity for editing things out or 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 uh, cleaning things up. You know, it's just raw. And right. uh, you know, I don't know. For me, it's a little bit more exciting. So I really appreciate that you do this live. I think it's killer. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. We like it. Train wrecks and all. Do you guys do you guys clean up the YouTube versions? No. So what whatever happens live goes up on YouTube. Yeah. Yes. And there, and there's a few of those episodes that I could just not ever watch again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I never watch them again. <laughs> I lifted once. I, I've tried I try not to watch as well. First of all, I'm very critical of myself and how I look, how I sound, everything like that. So I'm just like, oh God, I, I don't even want to look at myself. Oh, likewise. And I, you know, look at look at the career choice I made. Like to have those to have those those qualities and then like decide that you want to go stand on stage is <laughs> that is a fucked up paradox right there. Or <laughs> or, or host a, a, a national television show yeah, or it's fucking like oh my like God. the tattoo show and the this yeah. and that and yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, I love that show. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was cool. It was, it was right around the time that I was getting tattooed myself, so uh, I was like, really. You know what was cool about doing Ink Master is that a lot of people told me that it was like, yeah, it's a reality show. Yeah, it's a game show. Yeah, you know, it's uh, a lot of drama and and all and all the stuff that people tend to not like about reality shows. But what the one thing that they did get from it was a lot of education in terms of you know who to go see when you want a specific style like you know when i when i first started getting tattooed at like 17 i didn't know that there were people that specialized in different areas of tattooing you know whether it was traditional or if there was black and gray or if there was you know, uh, if, you know whatever the different styles were at the time that that was probably the late 80s but um realism back then yeah but but you know but now that show helps people make better choices in terms of picking their artists 
yeah. You know, so you know, I, I do I do think it did some good. So it was fun. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Completely. Um, because it is all about the artist, right? I mean it is. Well, I mean, you're you're not gonna go and get a you know a biomechanical tattoo from a black and gray uh, realism artist. You know, I mean, I'm sure he'll take your money and try, but you know, you should probably find the best biomechanical guy. You know, yeah. so that's that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You, know, you want a great black and white realist portrait horror theme? Go to Bob Tyrell. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Bob, Bob's definitely. a friend. Yeah, he was on the show. He came yeah. down. He came down. He was a guest judge. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, he's amazing. That's yeah. Cool. He plays guitar. Yeah. 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 He's, he's, been, he's been to a Jane's Addiction show or two in the van. So <laughs> he likes and, to go to shows too. Yeah, we we um, you know, but when Jane's Addiction when we do our shows, we have a little backstage jam room mm -hmm. and we you know, warm up and stuff. You wouldn't know it to see us, <laughs> but we did. <laughs> but we did warm up, and uh, so Bob, yeah, he was always back there in the jam room with us, and like, and that's that's when we do, like, uh, that's when we're doing Aussie covers and Van Halen covers and Zeppelin covers. You know, like, yeah. we're certainly not doing, we're not warming up doing James Addiction songs that we're about to play twenty minutes yeah. later. You know, so that's when we bring on all the fun, and 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 you know, Bob just loves the rock. Oh so, yeah. So like I will I will uh I will cater the set list to appease him when he, he if he's in the room. <laughs> That's nice. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. So uh so how do you and Dave both of you Daves, how'd you guys meet? Well, I uh <clears throat> I'm 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 in a band called Royal Machines, which is kind of a it's a cover band. We do uh we used to do a bunch of shows at the Roxy and then, and, 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 you know, public, public events, you know, every once in a while, but it's more a corporate, like for hire band. So basically it's, there's a lineup. It's myself, Billy Morrison, Josh Freeze, Chris Cheney, uh, and Donovan Leach and Mark McGrath. And we're, we're kind of, we're the, we're the core band. And then, when we get a gig, we we have guests that come in and and sing. So we swap out singers. Anyway, that's what that band is. And uh, um, through playing with Royal Machines, I had an opportunity to to play with Steve Stevens, and I've had an opportunity to play with Jerry Cantrell, and I've had an opportunity to play with Billy Morrison, and all these guys sounded so fucking good and i finally just was like what the fuck are you guys playing through <laughs> you know what i mean and um and i found out that they were all freedmans every one of them so that's how uh i don't know how i got your number dave i think i just I, I think my guitar tech had it. Dan had yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, he they got it from someone. Yeah, yeah, and they were, and, yeah. and Dan was hassling him, and uh, and finally, I just reached out directly, and I said, you know, I would love to to purchase a, a, a head in a cabinet from you, and I still have to get that cabinet, by the way. Yes, you but do. um, but uh, so Dave made the head for me, and uh, and I haven't looked back since, to be honest with you, and I just like. I was, you know, and, I, and I'm not putting down any other companies. I'm not putting down Marshall because Marshall was what I was with for about 
30 years and uh and i love them and i still use them for certain things you know but um i use a lighter gauge string you know i'm a i you know i use nines and uh i feel like with the friedman i'm hearing each string as opposed to when i'm in when i'm when i was using a 900 you know the marshall 900 and it would just be kind of like a big like a you know you hear the chord you hear the note but you don't hear the the uh you know the each string being you know you can't hear the different tones within the chord as well i couldn't you know at least as well and so uh when i when i switched over to the freedmans it was almost like i was playing with 11s through the marshall if that makes any sense is that would that be a fair assessment dave uh, yeah sure yeah the, the clarity of the chord yeah i mean have you have you no. heard that before yeah well i kind of listen for that myself i just yeah. like you know I mean, you just ring out a chord and it's like cling and you hear every single note from the bass to the high. right but i mean there's 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 like you know there's a bunch of ways to go about it there's the angus young way to go about it which is like he he's those rhythms are pretty clean oh yeah you know sure. they're they're pretty clean and i mm -hmm. like a really overdriven sound that's going to give me just miles of sustain you know what i mean so on the on the clean side where where you hear angus and you hear every single tone every mm -hmm. every note within the chord yes that's really clean but with with dave's amps even if it if i've got that thing overdriven all the way it doesn't turn into like this high-end staticky mess that's mm -hmm. just impossible to to wade through you know it's like you get to hear every every single note in the chord and when you go to solo so because i don't i don't really boost solos very much i know the, the head has a boost and I'll, I'll use it sometimes sometimes i step on a um like an, uh, a tube screamer or something just to boost a little bit but i like an amp where i can be because i'm the only guitar player in, in my band you know there's no rhythm guitar player so um i can be playing rhythm and then just straight up going to a solo without right. really having to do anything because i know the sustain is there you know what I mean? And so that, that to me was just a magical thing to figure out. And uh, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to have Dave come and help set me up with, with the head and show me how it worked. And cause there's a lot, there's a lot to it, you know, and um, figured out what you liked and how. how yeah. And, it, and, you know? and I was going to ask you Dave, because I'm a PRS player. So I was telling Mark yesterday or early, was it yesterday? Maybe. Uh, I was telling Mark that, you know, I, I ride the volume knob a lot. You know, yeah. Jane's Addiction is, is um, you know, we do a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that has nuance to it and, or that we try to relay nuance, I should say, you know, and uh, dynamics. And uh, there are times when I when I'm in the middle of a song, but then I need to go to a clean thing. So I need to roll down. But it's it's not worth switching a channel because then we want to build it back up from clean to dirty and i'll be playing and i'll be rolling the knob while i do that and when 
I was first playing with the Freedmen, something was happening when I was rolling down the my volume on the PRS, and it it it, it sounded like really shrill and like uh, yeah unpleasant, I guess is the way. And then so Dave, so you you came in and you said, I know what it is. And I still don't know what you did, but t tell us what you did. So what, so essentially what it was is on the PRS guitars, or at least on your PRS guitars, I'm not sure if everyone has it. There's a bright cap on the volume pot, not a resistor and a bright cap. That's kind of more full range, but just a cap. And it's kind of a large one. So, and you roll down, it would get really kind of skinny and super bright. Uh, it with some amps that are, say, muddier or not as clear, maybe that's a good thing, but not mine. I, it sounds, I think it sounds better without any compensation on the volume pot. The other neat thing is that the volume pot taper then also is better. So you get a, a, a nicer taper from zero to 10. Yeah. So maybe before you used to have to turn it down to, you know, three, but now maybe you only have to turn it down to like six or so or you know, and and then it all that top end it still does what it's supposed to do, but you still retain the sparkle with my amps. But I mean, what what, what I'm saying is, I've been playing PRS since 1991. Mm -hmm. um, when I was first Lollapalooza, I was I was an Ibanez player. I love Ibanez, um, and I still play him from time to time. But uh, I was an Ibanez player, and for one reason or another, in 1991, like I lost them all. I think I may have thrown them all into the audience, to be honest with you. And we were on tour. And uh, Chris Haskett, who was the guitar player for the Rollins Band, lent me his PRS. And as soon as <laughs> I played that, I was like, oh, this is fucking killer. And yeah. so Paul Reed Smith back there in 1991, Paul came down, Bev came down, all the people from PRS came down and uh, got stalking with them. And they set me up with, with a couple of guitars to finish the tour. And I've been pretty much with them ever since. Yeah. Um, so when we were fucking around with your amp and you said, I think I know what it is. Basically, Mark, he took my PRS and took it apart in the back and clipped a wire. <laughs> clipped a I wire. Clipped the capacitor off the pot. Yeah, he clipped the capacitor. I'm, I'm sitting there going, what the fuck is going on? Like, you know, like. But, but I was like, okay, I'm just going to try this. It's Dave Freeman. I'll trust him. But I was like, you know, I've never had to once open this thing up. You know what I mean? Right. And, it, and it almost, it, it was like almost brutal. You know what I mean? Like the clipping of that capacitor <laughs> with like, you know what I mean? It was like. A, precision. It was like a surgeon using an axe. Basically. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just like, <clears throat> get rid of this fucking thing. And then we plugged back in and it was perfect. And, yep. and I didn't have to relearn, you know, because after doing those songs for so many years, like, I naturally know where to roll to. I didn't yeah. have to relearn, okay, now I got to go to five instead of seven or what, you mm -hmm. know, my, all my natural movements were, remained the same. And it was just like, it was, it was, it was fucking, it was wild. And so as soon as we figured out that that worked. <laughs> We clipped on all the PRSs I have, so. yeah. and um, I, I have not. I have not gone back uh, uh, to a different amp since. So that's how we met, and that's uh, that was my. Uh, there you have it. My introduction to Dave's wizardry. 
you know, just like on the spot wizardry. Like you just, you just fucking knew. <laughs> so what amp did you actually go with? The B one hundred deluxe. Deluxe. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't see that. I don't even know. I because we spoke and I told him what I wanted, and I said. You know, I want it to be fucking super gainy. I want there to be a nice clean sound. And I went, went through the whole gambit of the things that I wanted. And he just came and said, here it is. Here's what you, here's what you want. And I think actually um, your shop had, had had been on fire, right? So, and yeah, well, um, yeah, that was that was a little bit earlier. But then I got, I was able to, oh no, maybe it was right at that time. Yeah, because yeah, I had to wait for quite a bit. Yeah, because we had had just had a fire. Not really. It was really the adjacent building that butted up to us, but there was all this smoke damage and all this stuff, yeah, and eventually yeah. had to move the whole building. And so, um, uh, yeah, you did have to wait for a minute, but but we yeah. got you one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I got to um, get you the cabinet now. <laughs> I I know I still don't have the cabinet. Which yeah. I'm dying That's to my fault. I just like kind of like forgot. So <laughs> I'll take blame. Well, maybe that could be my consolation prize for showing up here today. <laughs> I'll get, get, my, get my hands on my cabinet. Yep. The cab. Absolutely. What cab are you using with it right now? Just a um, yeah, just whatever the, the Marshall that I had originally. And uh, I mean, it sounds fucking killer. You know, I, I've, and I've done, I've done shows with Wild Machines. I've done shows with James Addiction and with the NHC project, all with the, the Friedman and you know, that's the other thing about it is like, you know, especially in, in like, uh, you know, cover band scenario like Royal Machine, you know, there's, there's the head allows um, so much room for uh, to have like a, a, a spectrum of sound to pull from, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not like you're stuck with your one tone the whole set. And every song sounds exactly the same. You're, you know, you're able to to modify and tweak as you go. And so, because you know, we do everything from, you know, Van Halen to the Cars to the Pretenders. You know what I mean? Like all these different songs that need, require different tones. And you know, so it, it's it's just the perfect head as far as I'm concerned. You know. And I and I've tried. I've been down the road of Mesa Boogie and Soldano and all the you know, every every high gain amp that you can think of, you know. And uh, I'm stuck. This is it. I'm done. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and and like I said, and I don't want to put those things down because I I I do love all those those companies and those those heads. But um, and then like. So certainly for recording, you know, I like to go through different gear per track. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I'll use the Friedman primarily. Uh, and then, uh, and then of course, I, you know, all the other stuff. Cause I, I like to have different, uh, different uh, wiring and different circuitry going, you know, from track to track. So then you can actually just make a distinction between different parts especially when you're doubling or, uh, you know, laying down rhythm tracks and doubling them, you want them to be different. So, I mean, you know, I, I, yeah. I just, I love exploring in the studio space like that. Yeah. We were talking about that yesterday with, uh, single coils, humbuckers. Yeah. You like to yeah. Lay down rhythm 
with humbuckers, but then sometimes maybe go to the single coils and make it cut through. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, I was, well, I was I was telling Mark, you know, because when I joined the Chili Peppers for, I think it was like what, four, four years or something like that, mm -hmm. maybe five, um, you know, in order in order to uh, do their back cattle, I was always, you know, so 1991, I was a PRS, you know, I became a PRS guy. That, that was my guitar. I like a lot. Um, didn't really work in the Chili Peppers. You know what I mean? In or, in terms of their back catalog. So at that time, Under the Bridge had come out, and uh, you know that record, Blood Sugar, came out, and they had uh, Mother's Milk and and Freaky Styley and all the all the all Uplift Mofo, all the great you know records that they had. And all those records were strat driven. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I had to, in order to do their back catalog of service, I had to go to strats which actually was my first guitar when I, when I was 10 years old i was at a skate park and i heard voodoo child playing on a loudspeaker and i fucking i looked up and i looked up at the speaker and i went inside and i asked the guy behind the counter i'm like what what is this that I, what are we what are we playing he's like this is Jimi hendrix this is voodoo child i was like dad we gotta stop at the record store on the way home and so I uh, immediately fell in love uh, with, because I'd been playing acoustic, you know, and learning how to play guitar since I was about seven. But it wasn't until I heard Jimi Hendrix where I was like, this is what I want to do. That's what I want to do with my life. So uh, my first guitar was, uh, was a Strat. But as I, as a, uh, and that was because I was such a fan of Hendrix. And, and when it came to blues playing and stuff like that, I was always on the Strat. But then in high school, when I met Stephen Perkins, who's the drummer of Jane's Addiction, we started a, um, uh, like a speed metal band called Disaster. And so, you know, the single coil sound didn't really, didn't really work in the speed metal area. And that's when I got some guitars with some some humbuckers on them, and you know, really got into that that whole metal sound, um, and really never went back. But um, so when I got into the Chili Peppers, I had to kind of re readjust all my playing and all, and like you know, because because the single coil really requires a different. It's almost a different approach in terms of how you're playing and how you're bending and how you're holding and how you sustaining and your vibrato it's totally different and um or at least it is in my for me you know you know and then just the feel of the neck and um but we were talking yesterday about now having had that experience of playing with these fucking just cranked out humbucker metal you know just you know, chugging you know, it's like ride the lightning and just come out back. You know what I mean? Like, right. you, like, like in those days, and I was like, that's, that, that's the shit. So, um, um, kill them all. No, I think kid was kill them all. I just come out. It was high school. I was like, it was like 1985. Um, and then, um, so, so then I, I kind of got to appreciate using the humbucker with the single coil in the recordings process. Like you'll rarely see me with a single coil in a live scenario, just being this, the lone guitar player. And I, and I, and uh, I don't find the single coils to be forgiving enough. 
if you know what I mean. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like, like, exactly you, you better be playing exactly what you mean to play if you're playing. So I'm like, you know, with the humbuckers, yeah. there's a little bit, there's a little bit more room to kind of like get into some blue notes, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but um, but in the in in the uh, in the recording scenario, I have uh, here. Oh, it's not. But I have a I have a relic Dave Gilmore Strat, and I've been oh, using cool. that a lot. And um, I also have uh, a really nice Telecaster that I write I use a lot too. And so, um, and I, I've just been really exploring with uh, those different kinds of tones, you know, and and layering because I've always been someone who layers and stacks guitars. I've and, and so if if that's my method then I better have some separation happening. And uh, yeah. there's typically, you know, there's typically the way that we wrote the song and I have my part down. But when I go in the studio, I pretty much throw too many ideas on, uh, you know, well, it used to be on tape and now I'm into the box. There's too many ideas and then start pulling them away. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And um, so, uh playing with a range of tones and pickups and amps and, you know, using some boutique stuff and using, uh, you know, some, some shreddy, you know, Ibanez guitars or using like a uh, Kendrick, like an old Kendrick amp or whatever, and then yeah. just kind of blending and seeing what I have. And then that's how the song gets kind of, kind of put together. It's like one of, it's like, it's like a painter through every color he had, on a canvas and then could take away colors you know what i mean right but, strip it down a little bit yeah 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 and which which would be much harder to do as a painter than throwing <laughs> tracks, throwing <laughs> tracks down like exactly. yeah i mean there's nothing quite like taking a, you know if you, even if you're using the same amp and you take a, you're doubling a guitar part and uh you have a, a telly let's say yeah. one mm -hmm. and your humbucker whatever guitar on the other mm -hmm. and it's just panned and yeah. it sounds massively huge with the two different guitars yes and you don't really it's... notice the telly it just becomes one sound yes you know unless you pan of course but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um but yeah it's that's it's that's a great great technique for doing stuff yeah and i yeah and i also i just uh yeah i found that when i if i'm doubling with the same the same amp, same guitar, same setup. It's not really doing it. It's just eating up sonic space yeah. that could be used or left for another instrument or another or something else. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So yeah. th there's really no point in doing that. I, I mean, in, in the early days of Jane's Addiction, we did that. But, um, you know, you learn. You know, I was 19 years old when I started doing that. Sure, sure. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So we've got a, a few questions. Some super chats have come in. Um, we got a question from uh, Paul Crane, who um, sent it in via our YouTube channel um, when we posted it earlier. He said, "What songs do you enjoy playing live most, and why?" Um, <clears throat> there's, <clears throat> excuse me. There's two that come to mind. Uh, the first one is Three Days" uh, with Jane's Addiction. Uh, and it's not because there's a big long guitar solo in it. I think it's because it's really dynamic, and, and the song, the song itself is—it's one of the longer songs for us. 
so it's it's a musical journey like so it starts off really clean and really down tempo and then it gets into it builds and then it gets really frenetic and crazy and big and then there's like there's a space where uh where i do a solo but every night i kind of get to tweak it because i don't really play it exactly the same every time and that's when stephen perkins and i the drummer really get an opportunity to just kind of go jazz odyssey if you will a little bit on 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 the song because uh you know he and i've been playing together since we were 13 i think or 14. so you know that that song really gives us that room so that's that's one of my favorites and then the other one i would say is a song called then she did which is um on ritual and that is also on the longer side you know there's they appeal to the prog uh guy in me you know what i mean i'm a diehard rush fan you know so the songs that go on and on and change tempos and change uh, signatures and change uh you know keys and have you know one one iconic part here that never comes back and then it ends up in another iconic space i love that you know what i mean so uh i i think i think the prog nerd in me tends to love those songs um more than any others but then again you know playing something like stop is a lot of fun and uh you know certainly uh uh been caught stealing can can be a nightmare but it's it's fun you know what I mean? <laughs> Actually, the, the funny thing about Ben Caught Stealing is that if you listen to the track, if you listen to the album recorded version of it, um, <clears throat> what had happened was uh, Perkins wasn't quite sure how he wanted to lay down the, the drum track. And we were recording with Dave Jordan. And so I... Uh, I, to a click track, I just kind of played the song all the way through on acoustic, right? And that way it was laid down there and then Steve could go in there and then like try different things and like fuck around. And then when he was done, come back and like, you know, put it together that way. Um, and when we listened back, we kind of liked the sound of the acoustic in there, but it was too, it was too much of an acoustic sound, but we liked hearing the articulation of the strings. So what Dave ended up doing was close micing the, the strings of an electric guitar not plugged into anything. So oh, what wow. you're hearing, what you're hearing is the jangle of just the electric guitar by itself. There is a, there, there is a rhythm in there that is through an amp, but the reason you can hear the articulation and the jangle is because there's that track in there where it's closed mic just on the strings alone and um and the blend kind of make that song what it is so uh that's why it never sounds like it never sounds live right. like it does on the records because yeah. you know there's you really can't do that in a life life setting i guess you can now with tracks and shit, but we don't do that but um um yeah so those are my yeah that's when, when we did that volume knob thing that's one of the songs you you 
you tried to you know, play with it because you rolled down in that thing yes. from the beginning. And I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's why I rolled down on that song is to kind of yeah. try and emulate the the jangle that you're hearing on the album because most of the Jane songs, I'm on 10 off of everything. You know what I mean? Mountain Song, I'm on 10. Horrors is on 10. Stop is on 10. You know, really, the the wild thing about the majority of the Jane's Addiction catalog, if you really think about it, no choruses. There's no choruses. There's, there's no chorus in Mountain Song. There's no chorus in Jane Says. I guess you could say Jane Says is the chorus, yeah. but it's not really. It's, you know, right. it's two yeah. chords. There's no chorus in three days. There's no chorus in stop. There's no chorus in had. I guess there's a chorus. There's a there's a a bridge in had a dad that repeats itself that I guess you could call a chorus. But that was one of the things that we didn't really intend on doing and weren't thinking about when we were writing. We just found a couple of parts and mashed them together, and Perry wrote some lyrics, and that's how they became. I think a little bit more hypnotic that way, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? A little bit more unpredictable because um, <clears throat> I've always looked at it this way. Like if you were, if you, if you're watching a movie, right. And then there's a car chase scene. And then an hour later, they're not going to show you the car chase scene again. Right. You already saw it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, you already heard it. So like, so why are we going to do that again? You know what I mean? So they were, it was kind of like that kind of thinking. Um, yeah, it's interesting because that doesn't work most for a lot of people because they, 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 the chorus is the hook of the song and, yeah. and, and, and that thing. But somehow with the other parts in the songs, it created a hook. Like yeah, Jane, I, Jane says, just yeah. that, just when it says that. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, and then there's the hook. And 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 the in the guitar part is really just kind of unintentionally over the hills and far away. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's literally G and A, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, and and what makes the song hooky is what Perry is doing and the fact that it's repetitive. I think you know, mm -hmm. and I think I, I think we owe a lot of that to Eric Avery too, who his bass lines were just so hypnotic and so uh, you know they, yeah. like like peter hook from joy division you know what i mean like it's just the baseline that just keeps going and like that just keeps you invested in the song yeah. so it kind of doesn't really matter that there's not like a radio friendly hook part you know like you know we we, we ended up you know doing songs that had courses of course and we, you know we explored with all that but the early days was 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 were really fun because we were just literally making it up as we went along like we didn't we didn't this know kid. we didn't know songwriting we didn't know song structure we didn't know formula yeah like no. every song came from a different idea whether it was a baseline whether it was a guitar riff or whether it was just something that Perry had written in his notebook and he said guys I have these words listen to this and then we would just start jamming on something that kind of fit the vibe of what he was saying. And he would freeform, just kind of stream of consciousness, 
sing them into the mic and, and play with his effects unit and stuff. And songs were written that way. You know, the, the, first, the first song on Nothing Shocking, which is called Up the Beach, um, was literally Eric and I tuning in a rehearsal room. That's how it started. If you think of the bass line, boom, 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 boom. He was making sure he was in tune, right? <laughs> right? Okay. And then I started, I jumped on it. I started playing with him. And then all of a sudden we had a fucking song. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's the, that's the cool thing about how uh, how we work. That's great. I actually have a very funny story about 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 the, the live record, the triple X one that came out in 1990s. 1986, I think. Quick story. I know you have questions. And oh no, I was going to ask you about that because that was one of the first bootlegs that I ever heard. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a yapper here, so I know <laughs> feel free to cut me off. But um, back in in so I was like, I don't know, 19. Eric was a little bit older than me, and um, so that you know, Triple X record, the first James Addiction record, is live at the Roxy, live in quotations, right? Mm -hmm. The reason I say live in quotations is because we had to go in and I had to go replay some stuff. And the reason for that is because we knew we were recording the record live. We, we had the truck outside. We knew we were going to try and make this our first album. And we wanted it to be live and capture the energy. But back in those days, in the 80s, and being just like street kids, because like, you know, let's face it, we were teenage Hollywood junkie kids, to be perfectly honest with you. And when we were backstage, when we would tune up, one of us would just say, give me your A, and we would hit it. And then we would try and listen and tune to the other guy's A. But the guy, like whoever, whoever gives the initial tone may not even be in 440. It's whatever, <laughs> yeah. whatever the, the, the instrument came out of the case sounding like, that was the 440. That was the A. So we would do it by ear. So, and then we would always play shows and it was fine. But then when we got the recordings back and put them up, and we were like, oh, my God, this sounds terrible. Because we were all completely out of tune because we didn't use tuners. So <laughs> it was just fucking funny. I just, I never forget that story because, like, your first album, you're a teenage kid, you're excited, and, like, you get to go down to the studio and hear it back for the first time, and it's just, like, <laughs> fucking mess. And it was because, like, <laughs> We didn't have tuners. We I don't even know if it occurred to us that they existed. You know, I think those were the days where we believed it was still like tuning forks. Right. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and funny. and I don't think that either one of us felt um, <clears throat> back in those days our egos wouldn't allow us to carry a tuning fork around with us. You know I mean? <laughs> it's just like it, it wasn't, it wasn't alternative and punk, you know, no. to, to, hold on for a second, fellas. <laughs> no, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Well, that's uh, a good so, story. So, so what did you do? So you went, ended up going back in and re-recorded everything but the truck. Yeah, 
I I re I redid some rhythm guitars. The solo stayed the same. The vocal stayed the same. Uh, drums were all live, uh, and I think I think the bass is all live. You know, I think I, it was just you know. Um, there Fixing was, a few things. Yeah, just we had to fix a few things. You know what I mean? So if you listen very carefully, there are moments where you can hear two guitars, um, which clearly there weren't two guitars playing. So I like to look at that as our uh, as our Frampton comes alive, so to speak. You know what I mean? <laughs> Slight, slightly modified. A little modified live recording. Right. Uh, here we got a question, um, and I hope this is cool. Abraxas, did you hear any crazy Prince stories from Carmen Electra you could tell? Did you and Carmen ever write or play music together? She, you know, Stephen Perkins gave her a drum set, and uh, so she and I would would actually jam. You know, we, we used to, I taught her when the levee breaks. So I taught her that groove, and we used to play that a lot. That was a lot of fun. And uh, <clears throat> as far as the crazy Prince stories, she told me a lot of crazy print stories. However, that is not my book to open and share to the public. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to respect, you know, uh, I got to respect her for sharing them to me. And, and I got to respect his legacy. And I'm not, you know, but the answer Ooh. is, the answer is, fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <great. laughs> Did you guys see that uh, Prince video of him, of him as a kid recently? Yeah, yeah, that was fucking great. No, I didn't see that yet. Oh, uh, yeah. really cool. I could say he's, there was, uh, or I guess, what in the 70s, I forget what it was, maybe late 70s, uh, he's a kid, and their the teachers were striking, and uh, the news crews were out there, and they interviewed Prince. He's yeah. a little kid. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really cool hearing him talk. And of course, even back then, he was on the right side of history. Yes, so. yes, he was. <laughs> so, I uh, love that question, by the way, because I love, I love knowing shit that I'm just not at liberty to share. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's just like, I yep. can't, I can't. You know what I mean? Like, it's just cool. Totally understand. Exactly. Um, more guitars. Dave Navarro, love your great Escape Artist album, a masterpiece. Did you mostly use your signature PRS guitar and one amp to record, or was it a huge assortment? Also, what specs did you specify for your PRS? Your signature. Oh, PRS? okay, that's thank you. I, uh, thank you. Uh, that so you're the guy who bought Great Escape Artist. <laughs> I knew one of them sold, so thank you, more guitars. Um, uh that was that was i mean most of the most of the guitars on that are prs but then like we like we've been talking about you know i actually borrowed uh billy duffy's falcon for a bunch of things and i would use uh i would use less paul's i would use strats i would use a multitude of amps because rich costi had a really great studio was the producer and uh we would have like maybe 10 different amps and cabinets set up in the big room and they'd all be mic'd. And so we could just go through, we could just switch, which switch heads and cabinets as, um, as we went and just kind of feel things out. And, um, and the PRS specs, I mean, it's, it's 24, it's a longer neck and it's a thinner neck. 
Um, it's my, I don't have the biggest hands in the world. And I like, you know, and I also grew up playing um, Ibanez and like Kramers and like shred guitar, but you know, like shred guitars. Cause that's when I was in the speed metal thing, like that was like, I wanted to just have as much, you know, flexibility and, and freedom as I had, as I could. So we used like we went with the thinner neck on the PRS, the 24s, because I like to go really, really, really high, you know what I mean, and just get all the fucking way up there. So I like I like to have, I guess, the B box available to me, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because yep. <laughs> have, have to be. Well, I mean, what well, to have the whole box available to you in, you know what I mean by the box, right? Like the the. What do you call it? The pentatonic scale or something like that. You know, not a lot of guitars that I love allow for that unless they're built for that. You know, so I wanted to make sure that the PRS uh, could do that for me. Yeah, that's cool. Cool. Thanks for the question. Uh, more guitars. We also have another question from Pasquale Morelli. Thanks, man. Uh, Dave Navarro on Tone Talk. So cool. Yeah, I agree. Thank you, man. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, do you remember what gear you used during the Deconstruction album with Eric Avery? Guitar that's, amps, great play. That, that is awesome. Thank you, Pasqual. Uh, Pascal, Pasqual, I'm not sure, so forgive me, but um, Deconstruction was was a record that Eric Avery and I made after James Addiction broke up, and um, I really used the same gear. Here's, here's, here's the thing that's very you know what why it's ironic that i'm on tone on tone talk is that i told i told mark right you told me this before too yeah i don't know the first fucking clue i have no idea what about tones and gear and i'm not a gearhead you know so when i was a kid and i was playing in the metal band with perkins in high school you know i got i ended up getting myself a marshall full stack and then I started using Boss FX pedals. And uh, back then, Boss made like a, uh, a pedal board case that opened and closed. Mm-hmm. And they would all fit in there perfect. Yeah. And, be- and it was a very smart marketing move, too, because you couldn't put another company's pedal in that because it was all fitted for the shape of a Boss pedal. Yeah. So every pedal I bought was a boss pedal because I wanted it to fit in this case. You know mm. what I mean? And um, very smart move, right? And it had never even occurred to me that that's what they probably intended you to do. Um, but um, so every time if I was like, wow, I want a chorus now, but I guess it's going to have to be a boss chorus because it fits in this case. So so that record, most of the gear was um, was just the PRS and the Marshalls with the boss gear. And then, um, but the, the real secret ingredient was our uh, producer, Ronnie Champagne, who is who was also the engineer on the James Addiction studio records prior to that. And uh, he, he had an assortment of guitars and amps that I couldn't even tell you what they were. Um, but um, so we just kind of toggled between my gear and his gear and um that's usually how it's been because i i never really i mean to this day if you look at my setup i'm dave i'm sure you've seen it um it is not much different than it was when i was in high school i mean with the exception now that i got a friedman head 
you know what I mean? But it's still pretty much boss pedals, except I got a Dunlop Wah, Dunlop Wah and I have some MXR gear. I love the MXR. Um, they have really nice uh, reverb pedals and some, uh, I got an Ibanez tube screamer in there and just a couple of different things, but it's not, it's, I don't have rack mount gear. I don't have weird boutique you know, pedals that, that do like, you know, I, I love all those things and I use all those things in the studio. You know, I'll fuck with anything. But when it comes to live, <clears throat> there was a period in the early 90s, no, maybe in the late 80s or maybe 1990 when like rack mount gear was like the thing. Rack mount gear, rack mount gear. Everybody had a rack mount gear. So like, you know, I had grown up my whole life being able to play and if something doesn't sound right, I just bend over and turn the fucking knob and then it's right. You know what I mean? Or, you know, I could see it turn, oh, that's on, that's off, that's on, that's off. Okay, okay, that's perfect. And then like I could, I could and, and even with the delay, like I could take the, the speed of the delay if it was long enough and I could pitch it as I was playing. So I really like to be hands-on with my pedals. And then at one point during the 90s, I went all rack mount. You know what I mean? Like, it was like rack mount is, that's the thing. I mean, everybody's using rack mount. I remember seeing Vernon Reed pull it, wheel in in 1991 this fucking rack oh, mount yeah. thing it was <laughs> that huge thing <laughs> well i used to tease him i used to say dude you got this fucking rack mount thing that is like the size of the fucking you know of one of the twin towers right and I go, but you sound exactly the same on every song. What's in that fucking thing? You know? <laughs> we just, we just fuck with each other, you know? Because uh, uh, that was first Lollapalooza, and they would invite me to jam with them all the time, and they'd play with us all the time. Uh, and I, in fact, last saw Vernon uh, in one of those 24-hour uh, Steve Vai jam nights. Oh, yeah. yeah, so I, mm -hmm. I got to see Vernon there. But... Um, <clears throat> So I remember getting rack mount gear and cause that's what the new hot thing was. And I was like, okay, it's time to step up. You know, we're getting some, some, you know, we're getting noticed or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like in a live situation, I find myself going to the rack and like scrolling through parameters and shit. I'm like, why the fuck am I doing this? You know what I mean? It was so much, it was so much easier the way it was. So then I just, I, I fucking, I got rid of all that stuff and, and it's been the same ever since. And, you know, very, yeah. it's, a, it's a very, uh, you know, 1980s high school kids first set up and I just, I never, I never uh, abandoned it. You know, I, funny thing is I was talking to Tom Morello the other night and he been using the same head his whole, since he was a kid. Mm -hmm. so fucking, it's the same one. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's, you know, those, those tools that you find early on are the ones that kind of define you and teach you how to do what you love doing. So then when you get to a place where you're doing it professionally to abandon the things that got you there and, and made you play the way that you play mm -hmm. seems really counterintuitive. You know what I mean? Sure. It's true. Nothing wrong with it. No, for sure. Keep it simple. Um, we got another question from Purposeful Porpoise. 
What's up? Uh, any advice on staying busy, sane while recovering from a fretting hand injury? Not allowed to flex it for two to three months. Nerve damage. Anything helps? Huh? Oh, it sucks. A fretting hand injury. Uh, oh, like is that? Uh, did he slide up a neck that had that was poorly fretted and shred his hand? Can he elaborate on it? I don't. I don't. I don't know. I, don't, I think he's talking maybe uh, like a wrist issue, nerve damage. He said. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. From, yeah. from, okay, I got you. Yeah. You know those, like, you know, like when you get a squire and you go, oh, yeah. and you're yeah. like, you fucking your hand is just <laughs> fucked. You're like, God damn, don't ever let you touch that again. Three months, anything helps. You know what? Fuck around with other instruments. You know what I mean? Fuck around with like a wind instrument or fuck around with a, with a piano or fuck around with with something that you don't know how to play like that was one of the things that that james we used to love to do is get our hands on instruments that we didn't know how to play and invent how to play them you know without <laughs> without being taught this is a very velvet underground kind of a, a, a thing to it you know yeah. what i mean like um <clears throat> john kale to be to be more specific would 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 take different instruments and just like make sounds out of them but they weren't really sounds that were intended to come out of them. And um, that's what we did a lot of. So I, I would, I, you know, I would say if you want to stay on the musical thing, start fucking around with other, other, other instruments, um, you know, but, uh, or even more so, fuck around with different tunings. Cause like, if you can find yourself in a way where you can just use one finger, maybe. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, so maybe you can't you can't flex it for two, three, but if you can get one finger on there and then tune it in a bunch of different ways and then slide that finger up and down the neck, you could write something that wouldn't otherwise have been written. So you could possibly make this injury into uh, a gift in a weird way. You know what I mean? Because I like to experiment with tunings all the time. Good That's advice. Cool. Good really advice. Well. Yeah, and feel better. And hopefully, I've had wrist issues before. And oh, um, dude, I fucking I fell, I fell, slipped and fell at a gas station, and uh, jacked up my wrist, and they take forever to heal. Yeah, you know, and I'm just now starting to feel okay. But it it was. It was fortunately my right hand, so if it was if it was my left hand, I, I couldn't I couldn't play. But yeah. even still, like I, I do yoga every day, so it's just like it's a fucking nightmare. So my heart goes out to you, purposeful purpose. Yeah, and feel better yourself too. Thank you. uh, here's the next question, Mr. Anderson. Dave, uh, I saw you front row at uh, Ross Kildee Festival. Denmark back in 1996 with the Chili Peppers. That sh show inspired me to pick up the guitar, and today all I play are Friedman amps. So full circle. <laughs> I actually recall that show. I remember that show. So <clears throat> I'm glad to play a small part in your in your musical journey, and uh, I'm glad that we ended up in the same space uh, sonically with the Friedmans. I mean, you know, because back in those days, I, I, I was not. I was playing through Marshalls and. 
-hmm. and strats and uh by the looks of his icon and was that an sg yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, SG. Yeah, yeah. So you know, if he's if he's if he's going humbucker through the Friedman, we definitely came for a full circle together. It's pretty <laughs> fucking cool. Very cool. Uh, uh, oh, I, there's a friend of mine in the chat. I just thought I'd say hi to. Hey, John, how are you? John Ziegler. Oh, okay. Hey, John. Howdy, John. I uh, can't so type in the chat, so. <laughs> don't ask. <laughs> T. Freppis, thanks for the super chat. I don't see your question though. If I, oh, here it is. Uh, great show, guys. No question. Just wanted to thank Dave for helping me with all my MIDI switching and gear questions earlier this week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 we, the, we, um, I'm cursed. I did, I did, I did a, uh, I, no, it's funny. It's like, um, my guitar tech Dan Cleary uh, used to do a Twitter Q and A, like an AMA about uh, how he works for me and the kinds of things he does to, to get, help me, you know, to work. And it was just all like, you know, like uh, <clears throat> I mean, it was just it was a laugh, you know, because he didn't, you know, all, every answer was like, I'm not really sure, I don't really know. I don't like because like neither one of us because he fell into being my tech just through being a mutual friend, and so neither one of us really, uh, really ever like got into it. You know, he's he's a fucking very accomplished tech now, but a very long time ago, um, he he didn't know a fucking thing. And um, you know, I think fifteen years of touring and with with us and with other bands, he became. A hell of a guitar tech, but um, yeah, you say MIDI to me, and I just I understand the concept, I think, um, but not my language. Yeah, I haven't gone down that road either myself. No, I mean, then you're talking, well, you're talking like logic and fucking, you know, I, I, I don't know, that, that's that's a whole like I never, never went that way. Yeah. Uh... Another question from Mr. Anderson. Hey guys, Dave, when you started playing guitar, what would you say was the eureka moment for you, either from a gear point of view or from evolving your technique as a player? Always admired your creativity. Thank you, Mr. Anderson. Uh, <clears throat> my eureka moment was when I got my Boss Distortion pedal. That was it. Because, was it. because I was playing... Uh, uh, a strat into a fender champ for like a couple of years uh -huh. yeah. and that's what those, that, was, that was my first like little electric guitar setup and uh then i discovered my distortion pedal and that was like this is what i'm looking for <laughs> this is what i want <laughs> and that was eureka for sure without a doubt without a doubt uh, the boss orange I think it was a DS1. Does that yeah, that would that be right? it. Yep. Mm -hmm. The Boss Orange DS1 was the fucking life changing for me. And and the funny thing is that in early James Addiction days, that was my sound. So like I, <clears throat> I had a Marshall head, 
that was cranked out on a clean setting and I played all my rhythms through that that DS1 just on constantly mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know what I mean and uh instead of having a mute or a channel switching um I would just turn it off for a clean sound or to like or in between songs you know because the thing would hiss you know the mm -hmm. way if you didn't uh but that was that <clears throat> the boss ds1 was was my rhythm sound it was my lead sound and it was also my channel switcher uh, <laughs> when like you know the first few days first few years so that was definitely it man it's actually a, a great question and it's fun to think back on that and uh that's something i had never would have thought of you know the, on my own like that was the moment where I was like, oh, I can do this. Right. And I also realized that tons of distortion, like all the little like clicks and fucking like, you know, accidental like imperfections in your articulation, how it just kind of smoothed all those things over. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, this I like. <laughs> and then and then after that i discovered delay units so that's and that was really interesting too so there was an there's a one rack mount piece of gear i did use was the ibanez dm 1000 and it was uh -huh. <clears throat> piece of rack gear in the 80s and when i first tried out for jane's addiction had all my boss pedals and then i my dm 1000 uh which i still have one uh but uh an 80s one but uh i had that on sitting on top of my head and that happened to be the exact same unit that perry would sing through to get all his delays wow. so we looked at each other we were like whoa you're doing that because i'm doing that that's fucking that's trippy and i think that's part of why i ended up in the band because we both we both really liked playing with the speed and like taking the sound and bending it and having it just like kind of fall out of time with the song, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the tempo's here, and then your delay is going, just it created this weird fucking thing. And then with him doing it and me doing it out of time, uh, it just became this fucking soup on stage that was like nobody was doing at the time. <clears throat> it was really fun. Yeah, yeah, super cool. I totally agree. Uh, another question from Purposeful Corpus. I don't know what he's asking. Um, uh, Navarro, is that your everyday mod? He's talking What's... about this. Oh. He's talking about my vape. Oh, okay. See, I'm not. I... <laughs> okay. Uh, so... What's your wattage? Have you tried the Sakers tank? Flavor and clouds. Okay, this is well, new. This is new terms to us. Yeah, this is this is vaping terminology. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So this is a geek vape, and the reason I have this particular one is because I uh, I do street art. I paint in the street quite a bit, and you know you're up on ladders and you're up on billboards and you're up on buildings. If you drop your fucking vape, it's over. And anybody. Anybody who's broken the glass in their vape after the vape stops, the vape shops are closed, knows the panic of when <laughs> you don't have another glass, you know that panic. So this happened to be the, just like the most durable one. 
uh, that I could find. And uh, right now I have this at 50. And what I'm using is, um, I also was smoking quite a bit. And so I recently quit smoking. So I was at 12 milligrams and smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Then I threw the cigarettes away. And then I went down to six milligrams. Then I went down to three milligrams. And now I fill the tank halfway with three and halfway with zero. Because ultimately, I want to get rid of this too. You know what I mean? So I'm just bringing my addiction to nicotine down as I go. And as far as flavors, um, <clears throat> I, I don't really care. Because at this point, it's just like, it's just been such a, it's like a third limb at this part, at this point, you know, it's just, I know it's an, it's an, it's, it, it's an annoying addiction that is also still rewarding <laughs> in a weird way. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, know, I know what you're saying. Yeah. But we learned new things that we didn't know anything about. Yeah. That, that, I, I'm sorry, purposeful corporate. So I had, I was looking at it going, I have no idea what he's asking. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Um, so I, but, a, I mean, but in the same breath, if I was in the studio and I didn't have a slide and I needed a slide, I would make this work. There you go. You know what I mean? So it still ties into tone talk. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Because We're there's a lot. There's a lot of shit that I do. That's like, hold on a second. See if I get this. Oh, this is just weird. Hold on a second. I love that white PRS. I think he's muted now. Yeah. Uh, you muted yourself. Because uh, I initially got PRS to build white ones with gold hardware because of the Hendrix white strat at Woodstock. Mm -hmm. But, like, you know, I would take the vape <laughs> in the studio and we do what's called seagulls. You, you won't be able to hear it, but you just kind of throw some delay on it and fuck with the strings like that. And it just creates this little fucking weird sound. A little chirpy kind of. Yeah. But so like, that's what I mean by the, to the guy who asked for advice because he can't use his hand, like pick up something around the house and fuck with and see what it sounds like. You know, I used to use, um, and this is before this is, I, you know, and I'm not trying to certainly not trying to, uh, you know, be egotistical here or anything, but before Eddie Van Halen used the drill on his pickups, <clears throat> we would do shows, and it was maybe like three years before that, I was using vibrators, like that you would buy <laughs> at a sex shop, because it does the same thing. It reacts the same way with the pickup. Yeah. And um, there's, there's footage out there of me doing that uh, back in the day. And then I remember... Uh, we were still like kind of playing clubs and things like that. And that was kind of like one of my gimmicks, I guess, is I would pull out a vibrator and you could turn up the speed on the thing. Right. And so, so, and it, you know, it's a big dick looking thing with the speed going, I'm turning that and I'm going through the wall and delay. So it just made this fucking sound like fucking what? And then 
And then uh, we were on tour when the song came out with the drill. And I was like, fuck, someone caught on to this. Not that, <laughs> not, not that, not that he stole, I'm sure he didn't, I, you know, I'm sure he independently figured it out. You know what I mean? But I was like, God damn it. Someone fucking knows that the electronics react that way and, and you can use it for a, for a fun effect. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so. cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, I had a question for you regarding your marshals. Um, so early on and the ones that you were using, were they, was it an 800? You said 900s that you were using? And uh, I used 800s and 900s. Yeah. And then were they modded at all by anybody or just always stock? Um, they're always stock, but they're, they're all, they're all different. Like, I, so I would have, like I would buy two at a time if I was to go on tour, right? So I, I would like I bought two nine hundreds. One of them, I fucking love. The other one sounds like garbage to me, <laughs> and I don't, I can't explain why. And I would have the same experience with the eight hundreds. And then I tried the two thousands, and it was just a little much for me. Um, but uh, I think that uh, <clears throat> I ended up sticking with the 900 just because you know i was i liked the channel switching feature in it and i just you know it was just just what i ended up settling on but i i couldn't you know if we do a lot of gigs where we have to rent gear so here you know this is where i get into trouble with the freedman mm -hmm. you know what i mean because i have the freedman most of the time but then sometimes we get flown out somewhere and we have to rent the back line and so if it's not your gear and you get the sound check and you're fucking, you know, like back when I was doing that, I had 900s. And then like I go to Philadelphia and I'm playing through a rented 900. I'm like, what the fuck? Why does this not sound like, like, like mine? And that, that was, that was the thing I mean, about, those those heads in particular that every one of them just sounded fucking different and it was like there was no consistency for me mm. yeah yeah i've heard that before you have because that's that's just my experience i don't know if other people if that's a thing no, we've talked about that before i mean yeah yeah same setting same setting same everything and then you're just like what is happening you know? Well, yeah, it can be different cabinets, different speakers. It can be different tubes that are in the amp. It can be all sorts of things that can cause those differences. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not. I'm not, I'm still talking about buying two identical ones from the factory and sounding totally different. You know what no. I mean? Like that was that. So the one, so the one that I liked, I kept, and the one that I didn't like, I just gave some gave to somebody. You know what I mean? It was like, want right. this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh Jay Santiago. And I, I don't care what the critics say either. Uh I can't stand it when critics say one hot minute is the worst chili pepper album. I think it's their top fives for sure. I love that album. Thanks. I Jay. like that album too. I yeah. think I think uh I think that musically we went into some directions that the chili peppers hadn't gone in before so in 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 terms of 
in terms of pushing the envelope, I really love a lot of that record. And, you know, I think that also uh, one of the things about it that's, that's interesting is that, you know, that was, that was uh, me using my full humbucker PRS setup on that record. You know what I mean? So that for, so for them, so like for, I, I understand why the critics and the fans, a lot of fans say that a lot of fans love it, but a lot of fans say that is because up until that record, they had a, a, a sound, you know what I mean? And then that record came out and that sound was totally different, you know, because I wasn't that kind of a player. So <clears throat> when people say that I understand it from a fan's perspective, you know what I mean? It's like, I love Neil Peart or Neil Peart and I love Bunny Carlos. But if Bunny Carlos started playing for Rush, I'd be like, this doesn't sound very good. You know what I mean? This doesn't sound very good. You know what I mean? So it's like, it was like throwing like this, the, the wrong, it was just, there was kind of like throwing the wrong ingredients together. But I think that had we stayed on, uh, on a path, you know, of working, you know, it could have gone in some cool directions. And I think it did on that record. And there's some, there's some moments that I'm really proud of. And, you know, it's, it certainly was a life-changing and valuable experience to have Flea and Chad Smith as my rhythm section. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like fucking, come on. Yeah. You know, that's where, that's where I went to school. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I went to school with Eric Avery and Stephen Perkins and then Flea and Chad Smith. So it's like I had I I I got so much from playing with those guys. Serious education. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And also, also just as a player, it forced me because I wasn't a funk guitar player. I wasn't, you know, and I, I I didn't play single coil guitar. So it forced me to become proficient in areas of music that I don't normally play in. And then now today at 54, I, you know, I, I will use those resources that I learned in those days it, today. So, you know, again, going back to the guy with the hand injury, where, you know, if you start fucking around with shit that you're not familiar with and that you don't normally do, a day will come where you'll go, oh, I got that tool in my toolbox that I forgot about. And that's perfect for this. So mm. I learned a lot of tools from playing with those guys and, you know, they, they show up all the time now in my playing. I love that album. Thanks. So, uh, yeah, really good, cool collaboration with you guys. Uh, Leah Davia, Davila, uh, thanks for the super sticker. I think that's our first super sticker. I've never seen that before. So thanks. Um, Rebel Rocker says Dave totally rocks. Thank you. Thank you, Rebel. Uh, more guitars again. Uh, thanks for your earlier reply, Dave. Now the es for the esoteric. Coolest ghost or psychic type of story that would blow our minds, but is true. Come on, freak us out. <laughs> ghost or psychic type of story. I mean, the one that comes to mind, I don't really want to share. But I'll tell you, for more guitars, I will say that I have something that would freak you the fuck out. 
and freaks me the fuck out and happens here in this house all the time. And um, I would just say, I don't know where it comes from. I sage the house all the time. I try and cleanse the house all the time. I try and rid the house of whatever it is that causes this thing to happen. And if I will, if I smudge the house, um, it will stop happening for quite a while, but then sooner or later it happens again. But I don't really want to get into what it is that happens because it happens to me. And, um, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, you guys will probably have me fucking committed if I tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Diego. Yeah. I'm going to fuck that up, man. I really am. Uh, our Why don't you just refer to him as Diego? And- Diego, right. Diego A. Diego A. There you go. Thanks for the super chat, and uh, it's right here. I, Dave, love your guitar playing on One Hot Minute. Can you talk about those sessions, gear and pre-production? Thank you. Well, I, I think I kind of did touch upon on the, the gear. The gear that I used was pretty much the gear that I used in Jane's Addiction. Like we, you know, there's some strats on there. Sort of song Walkabout has got a strat, you know, but. I was really pretty much going through, uh, uh, I think I was using Strat and I was using uh, 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 Les Paul. In fact, the Les Paul that's right here, do you see that one mm-hmm. behind me? That was a gift that John Frusciante gave me. Mm. So I was using that. Um, I was using a bunch of vintage gear rick like rick Rubin liked to use a bunch of vintage gear and pre-production was you know was um we didn't really have much pre-production what we did was we we went and rented a house in hawaii and we brought all our gear and just kind of wrote the songs in this house over the course of a couple of months and then uh, went directly in the studio and just recorded them. So, you know, maybe sometimes the critics are critical of the record or whatever, you know, it's because maybe there wasn't enough pre-production, I don't know. But we just kinda, we didn't know what we had and we didn't know what we sounded like and we didn't know if we worked as a lineup. And so instead of fucking around and waiting, uh, we just kinda went into the studio and, and made the record, you know? And uh, and so there's a lot of it sounds really Jane-Z. A lot of it sounds like their classic sound. And a lot of it's maybe a little bit uh, more in, in a non-standard way, like a little bit more offbeat than you would hear on a normal Chili Pepper record. But uh, the gear was primarily the same. Like I said, like, Ever since I was a kid, I kind of never swayed from my guitar of choice, PRS, boss pedals, martial heads, and then like, you know, some other different things to kind of color it differently. But that was pretty much it. Cool. Cool. Um, Let's see. Ryan Casey. Thanks, guys. Great to see and hear you as always, Dave. When are you relaunching Rockstar NXS Supernova? Love the, the Jane's Addiction and Red Hot Chili Pepper stuff. Rock on. That will never take place. He's, <laughs> he's, referring, he's referring to a, 
a television show I did. And then I also did uh, one year with NXS and then one year with Tommy Lee uh, <clears throat> for another band. And uh, I don't know, it was kind of like, an, it was kind of a rock American Idol thing. And, uh, you know. It was fun. I, I liked it. It was, it, it was fun, but, it, you know, it's like, you know, it depends, like, it, it depends, I, you know, look, if they brought it back and said, we'll pay you $5 million an episode, I'm there. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, definitely. I, I, but, you know, it's like, uh, I, I don't think that's coming back. Yet. I right. just think he's, I think maybe... Maybe either he's he's poking fun or or acknowledging that he saw it. One of the two. And either way, I don't care. I don't. Mind. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I don't mind. You know. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I remember. I've done things to poke fun at. So if you know, you do you step outside of the box and you experiment and you play with things and like someone calls you up and says, you know, hey, do you want to be on a TV show that's about rock music? And you're like, okay. You don't really know what it's going to be until it's there, and uh, you know. So I just, I don't know. I like taking chances. Yeah. You know. Why not? Of course. Everyone uh, does. JN, thanks for the super chat. You're the first rock star, first rock guitarist I saw live 96, Toronto with Red Hot Chili Peppers. Love One Hot Minute. Really inspired me as a young player. Been jamming Warped the past few weeks. Revisit those songs. Do you mm. recall your live rig for the shows? Yeah, we talked about that. Um. I love Warped. It's the fucking. It's the weirdest. It is the weirdest vocal melody I believe that Anthony ever has done. Uh, it's just completely against the groove, and he almost sounds like Ozzy sometimes. It's very weird. Um, and my, and, and I, I apologize for repeating myself all the time, but yeah, I was using. Uh, Boss pedals, Marshall 900. Uh, I had a Dunlop Wah, and the only thing that was different was I was using uh, custom shop strats uh, in the Chili Peppers. You know, but that's pretty much the only difference. Everything, everything else, gear-wise, had been the same. You know, and and I and I love to explore weird, unusual pedals and all those things. Like I said, in in the studio. Um, but even when I do that, I have to figure out a way to get that, that tone or a tone similar to the one I use in the studio out of the gear that I use, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like, um, if I, if I had some like weird boutique pedal that I got an effect on for a recording, I wouldn't then put that boutique pedal in my live lineup you know because i also want i want the least amount of connections going from my guitar to my head you know what i mean like i'm just i'm 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 a freak about that so the you know i, I see guys with um well now you got like neurals and shit like that like crazy stuff you know people mm -hmm. are doing you know but i and I and I experimented with the neural, and it's a fucking fascinating thing, and it's really cool, and it's like you can really dial in some great shit. But I need to be able to have my hands on the fucking thing and turning the, th you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I need to know what's going on. I need to know 
that if something goes down, I can just pull the fucking cable out of the fucking wall where I'm going in and just put it right in my head. You know what I mean? Your neural goes down, you're fucked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just like you know, and like I don't, I don't, I don't want to do math during the show. I don't want to be like tapping out a bunch of shit and like. And I'm not talking shit about neurals because they gave me one. I fucking loved it, and we used it at. Um, me and Billy Morrison used it. And here's why. Here's why it was perfect. We used it to cover um, all of Lou Reed's Transformer and all of the Sex Pistols. Never mind. Never mind the bullet tears of Sex Pistols in one night. So with the neural, I was able to match the tones on the album for each song. And in a scenario like that, it was, it was a godsend. You know what I mean? Because then I could get, because we tried to really, really recreate the records, not just do our versions of the songs, but like try and get the tone that that guitar player had on this song and try and get the tone. For the, so we would switch amps. And in that scenario, it was great. But for me personally, in Jane's Addiction, something like that isn't effective for me because I need to be able to physically get down on my knees and turn knobs, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? Now, when you're recording, do you always mic cabs or have you used ever used any IRs or, you know, like the new stuff, like any of that new stuff where you, you know, virtual cabinets and stuff like that, or is it always mic'd? Uh, it's, I mean, yeah, I, I've used those things for sure. I mean, well, one of the things that we'll do, um, is I'll mic my cabinet, but we'll have a, we'll have a direct going in as well. So, so I'm recording and here's my mic sound and I'm usually tracking my effects while I'm recording. You know what I mean? Like instead of adding them later or, you know, using a plug-in or whatever, a lot of times I'm just whatever i'm stepping on at the time is what i'm it was what i'm recording and that's what gets put down you know in in the uh in the track but we also will run a direct clean before the amp into and run that as like a ghost track so say i do something that i really love performance wise but the delay spilled over and gotten in, got in the way and kind of messed up the fucking, you know, <clears throat> some articulation or whatever. We can go back to that, that ghost track, reamp it, and then re put the delay on it. Or in certain cases, like you're talking about, yeah, I'll use like some, some amp simulations and, you know, fuck it. If it's in the box and it's easy, let's do it. You know what I mean? But it's, it's not like, it's not like I'm some purist, you know, um, if there's some new technology that's going to make my life easier and, uh, and, and get the job done, I'll fucking, I'm happy to do it. You know what I mean? But, um, but typically, um, with most of the bands that I, I play with, we like to track live, you know, get a live take, start with a live take. Um, even if you end up going back and changing things, um, you know, we like to get the take, especially uh, the drums and bass as live as possible. You know what I mean? And so when we're tracking a song, usually my rhythm will end up staying there or I'll, I'll fix a few moments or whatever. 
but we're really focused on trying to get the drums and bass just like locked. So, um, so because of that, uh, I never really got into uh, simulators or direct, you know, direct amp stuff. And I remember when pods came out, and those were the big deal. And like, you know, all these bands are going on tour with like, like a little red thing and there's a pod. And I was like, like that's fucking crazy. <laughs> was, okay, but, but um, and they're cool and everything. But um, you know, I I I I need I need to hear. You know, it just I'm 54. You know what I mean? Like I need to hear it coming from back there, and I need to hear it coming from there, and I need to hear it coming out of there. So like when uh, which is also why I don't really. I don't really do in ears. Once in a while, I will, but I don't. I don't like it because I need to feel the sound waves on my yeah. un, under my feet, uh, in 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 the space that I walk to. And sometimes, you know, in especially in Jane's addiction, like there are times when I want to hear something louder, and there are times when I want to turn it down. So. I'd rather just walk away from something or walk to something to to play with it and hear, you know what I mean? And so if I got some lock mix in my ears, yeah, sure, it might save my hearing, but I can't fucking, I can't, you know, I mean, they do have, you can mix on the go. They do have that available. But as we've you know, outlined here, I like things pretty fucking simple. So, you know what I mean? I, um, I would much rather. Um, you like it the proper way. I, if if that's what you're saying, Dave, I'm not going to argue with it. You know, I mean, it's like I the proper way with volume. Just, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't like, feel it, like rock and roll without volume. It makes a difference. <laughs> it just makes a difference to me, and it just it it makes a difference in my playing, and it makes a difference in my comfortability, and it makes a difference in being able to get lost in the music. Yeah. Sure. You know, so, and I'm not putting down anybody who does it otherwise and likes to do it that way. But for me, like, I, I just, I just can't, I think maybe I'm just too, too, uh, too old school at this point, you know? Hey, it's fine. What works for you? Because I know like Billy, uh, Billy and Steve, um, like in, in Billy Idol's band, Steve Stevens and Billy Morrison, both like if you can walk onto that stage and have a conversation during a show. Do you know what I mean? It didn't used to be that way. I know it didn't. I know it didn't. So what is he using? Steve, Steve was one of the loudest guitar players. Are you ever. kidding me? Like, yeah, you you've done gigs with him. Dude, <laughs> Slash too, by the way. And Steve, yeah. Steve Jones too. So yeah. in, in Royal Machines and the cover band, like uh we would have guest guitar players come up for a song or two, you know, ladies and gentlemen, slash ladies and gentlemen, Steve Stevens. And when Steve Stevens comes on and, and, uh, and I notice that the guest amp is next to my amp. I'm like, Oh fuck. <laughs> because, because it goes on either side. We don't know until we get to the venue and the layout of the stage. And so I know I'm in for it because Steve plays fucking loud. But I think now they're all on ears. 
and yeah uh, it's I, I i know for a while they were doing the thing where um where the amps were like mic'd in the parking lot or like you know behind you know yeah. behind the venue or whatever um <clears throat> i've tried that you know because it is it is rough for a singer to especially someone like billy idol or perry farrell who've been doing it at the top of their fucking uh you know their range for as many years as they have like mm -hmm. it's fucking hard to cut through that all that fucking noise so i understand uh their plight and uh if there was a solution that would make it easier for them by all means you know because most people want to hear the singer and the lyrics in the song yeah. you know what i mean it's like that's what they want to hear but um when i tried turning my cabinet around it was like it was somehow like wearing two condoms <laughs> just like what am i even doing here <laughs> that's so true oh my god that's terrible uh nigel wants to know did you like the david gilmore painting he had made for you back in 2012. thanks again oh yeah man he Nigel. Mrs. Spread TV and Dark Matter. Oh, thanks, Nigel. Yeah, dude. And then and I and and this is someone who uh, also is aware of of the podcast. I was doing a I did I, I, Spread TV is an interesting thing. It was an internet, it was a live internet show, much like this one, mm -hmm. way before people were doing this. And like, it was like, no one heard of it. Nobody watched it. Nobody saw it because like things weren't caught up yet. You know yeah. what I mean? Now everybody does one, but we were doing them like in, I don't know. I want to say, I don't know when spread was, but it was like in the early 2000s. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Way before anyone was, yeah. You know what I mean? So this is a long-time listener, a long-time fan, and I appreciate it. Thanks, oh, cool. Nigel. Yeah, thanks, Nigel. We appreciate it. Thanks for watching. Um, we've got a bunch of questions from people. Manny uh, Mejia, thank you. Dave Navarro, I own both your black and white PRS SC signatures and love them. Still on the hunt for your signature core model. My question is, do you use the stock PRS pickups or another type? No, these are the stock ones that I use. And, you know, it's funny. He brought up the SE model, which is what this is. And, uh, you know, so there's the, there's the higher end version of this. And then they came out with the SEs, which is like, a, you know, a more affordable one. Um, and I got to tell you, I like the SEs kind of. Sometimes I like it a little more. You know what I mean? I'm just like... <laughs> like I'm like Dan, why don't you uh, why don't you hand me one of those SEs tonight? You know, there's some, they're they're a little you know they're lighter, they're uh, you know they're a little yeah. bit a little bit more manageable sometimes, and uh, I don't know a little bit more fun. Hey, why not? Um, I had a PRS FD and great guitar. You have one right there behind you. Yeah, actually, this is a custom twenty four. Yeah, that's that's what I use. Yeah, which I love. Great. Yeah, guitar. yeah. Uh, Rummy, 
What's up? Hello, back to the U.S. from Europe. Um, dear Dave, would you please talk about ocean size? I love the solos. When I hear it, I feel so energized. I know you have punk influences, but was some of your playing inspired by ACDC? Um, oddly enough, no. I've heard that before, and um, <clears throat> I loved ACDC growing up, but uh, it wasn't. I was never really like. I never. I never sat there and tried to learn Angus solos where I would sit there and try and learn Gilmore solos, or I would try and sit there and learn Hendrix stuff, you know, and I would. So my, my influences back then were probably more Hendrix, uh, Jimmy Page, uh, that era, that kind of genre of player. And, you know, even though I had punk influences, I kind of crammed those like classic rock guitar player styles into a punk scenario. And I think that was one of the things that made Jane's Addiction kind of unusual. But, um, you know, the funny thing about that is, um, and the solos in Ocean Size, is that when I was a kid, I bought bootleg records all the time. I bootlegged like live recordings, you know, I, we had one record store, Rhino was back when Rhino Records was just a record store on Westwood Boulevard. They didn't it wasn't this big company, it just it was a little mom, mom and pop record store. And you could buy used records, you could whatever, and I'd buy a lot of um, a lot of uh, bootleg recordings of live shows. And I noticed that on those recordings, Hendrix never really played the same solo. Jimmy Page really never played the same solo, and I had a bunch of these really shitty recordings, and so I never wrote a solo, and I never played it again, really. So the solos on Ocean Size are just me just kind of, okay, hit record, and just making it up as I go. Because at that age, at like nine or 10, I just thought that's how you're supposed to do it. You know what I mean? Because the guys that I was listening to, it sounded like they were just making it up as they went along. So that was my, I don't know, that's, that's just kind of how I always approached the, the guitar. You know, now in later in days, and, and certainly some of the, the stuff that we've put out more recently, and, uh, you know, I, I really love to write melody and uh you know and really kind of compose things uh but in ocean size in, in particular those things were just spur of the moment uh in, more more influenced by hendrix and, and page uh than anything else just because they were in the moment a little sloppy a little fucking frenetic and they served the song and i guess maybe that's that's where some of the energizing that he's talking about comes from because it's like, because nobody knew, including me, what it was going to be. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that that's, I, we liked capturing that. It's kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Joseph, thanks for the super chat. Uh, One Hot Minute was the last good Chili Peppers record in no spark, small part to Mr. Navarro. Aww. After that, they lost their edge. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, I was a big fan at the time. Uh, I appreciate it, Joseph. Yeah. I appreciate Actually, it. Actually, the new album that they came out with is, uh, from what I understand, really cool. I yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. 
I, I recently played with Chad and Anthony at different functions and, um, uh, you know, so we're all still real good friends and stuff. So I, I you know, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't say that they, they definitely, it'll never lose their heads, man. Yeah. Those guys are fucking Kings of LA. I mean, mm -hmm. those guys, those guys came from the fucking underground in the eighties and they're still on top. You have to give it up to them. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Vinny, what's up? Uh, hey, gents, Dave, thank you for this opportunity. Philosophical question for you. What do you think it is about music versus other art forms that separates it? Why does it matter so much? Is it arguably the most important? Huh. Interesting question. I think that <clears throat> there's a lot that's a multi-tiered answer. And I know we're almost what it's, it's almost, we got, how much time do we got left? Like, I think we got 10 minutes, eight minutes, eight minutes. minutes. Okay. So it's a multi-tiered, it's a multi-tiered answer, you know, uh, you know, paintings move someone a certain way, uh, films move someone a certain way, but you know, we, we've all seen our favorite movies a couple bunch of times over and over again, especially when someone cable came out. And guys our age, like, remember Caddyshack being played every other day on cable, and so we know every fucking line in that movie. But by and large, people don't watch movies over and over and over and over again. And no. they don't look at the same piece of art over and over and over and over again and stand there and contemplate it. But music, we listen to over and over and over again. And I think that's one of the things that separates it and it can it can take you back to where you were when you first heard it it can invoke a different feeling every time you hear it it can invoke a different feeling where the location you are that you're hearing it and every time you hear that song and every time you are somewhere with or with someone or with a loved one or in a different uh country or wherever you hear it all of those experiences become part of the narrative of that song for you specifically only. And so I think that that's one of the things that makes it uh, so unique. I think it's a pretty good answer. That's I a good agree. answer, yeah. I can't believe I came up with that. No, I, I agree with you. And it's, it's like sometimes, sometimes you get asked questions or you're like, you never even thought about it. And it's, no, it's no, like, but it's, uh, huh. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's really true. It's like, I, you know, like, uh, like my, in my relationship with certain songs change as I get older because, um, for instance, Venus and Furs by the Velvet Underground. Okay. I first started playing that song with Susie and the Banshees in 1991 when I would join them in Lollapalooza, right? Since then, since 91, it's now 2022, I've played that song with Lou Reed. I've played that song while getting loaded and destroying my life on heroin. I played that song uh, in a tribute concert that we played the entire album, and I've listened to it countless times. I've had, you know, been through different relationships with that song being a, a key component. So, you know, my relationship with that song has changed as the years have gone on. Whereas if I go back to the Louvre 
in Paris and look at the Mona Lisa, my relationship with that painting is probably going to be the same. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Jay Santiago, thank you. Uh, I watched the Red Hot Chili Pepper bootleg where it was pouring rain. How shredded up were your fingers after that show? Weren't you using Parker's on that tour? Fingers were fine, but yes, I was using that. That was back when the Parker Fly came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a song called My Friends. And, uh, you know, the cool thing about the Parker is it had that pickup that, that could make it sound like an acoustic. And I always had uh, <clears throat> terrible experiences miking acoustics. And I also had terrible experiences with, especially back then, with feedback coming out of the, you know, the hole and, and, the, and the monitors. So when Parker Fly came out with that guitar and it was crazy looking, I mean, it looked like something that, you know, like, you know that, that would have been aboard a Klingon ship. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But it sounded like an acoustic guitar, but and then also I could flip the switch and then do the electric solo on there. So uh, yeah, that was a fun time. But yeah, we played in a lot. Chili Pepper when I was with the Chili Peppers and with James, we played in some pretty fucking horrific conditions. And remember, we were playing. Uh, the Peppers were playing Mount Fuji, and I think we got hit by a monsoon. Oh man! Like literally, and they had to shut it shut it down. Um, but it, it was one of those things where if we're standing like this, the rain was coming sideways. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was yeah. just fucking crazy. You. Wow. Uh, the Axis Bowl, what a great show. Hey, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, I want to get through all these super chats before we got to run because I know uh, both Dave's probably have to run. Um, hey, Dave, saw you. Uh, Kitchener with uh, Soundgarden in 2015. That was at Toronto's only grunge band, Spun, 1981-1998, virtually unknown. What is your second favorite instrument to play? Um, I, I love the bass. I, I love playing the bass. I know um, it's uh, that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very simple answer. I don't know. I think, I think because... Um, because of Eric Avery and working with him for so many years that I view that instrument as something uh, that can hypnotize, you know, and, uh, and being such a huge Joy Division fan, I love playing that instrument in a hypnotic way. So it kind of, it has the, it has the ability to take me out of self and put me into some kind of other state of consciousness. If I find the right groove and just keep fucking playing it and just like sit there, I could sit there for 45 minutes playing the same line. And, uh, you know, it, it almost becomes, it almost becomes a mantra, you know, almost like chanting. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Meditation. Uh, Mr. Anderson, again, some may laugh, but to anyone who is interested in esoteric UFO stuff, find this book called life with a cosmos clearance by daniels m salter read it as a fairy tale you will still learn a lot okay cool thanks mr anderson thank you uh i think there's a few more super chats and then we're gonna we're gonna run um 
Lady Stardust, love that you're such an advocate for mental health. I struggle with depression, but recently have made progress. Thank you for being such an inspiration. Thank you, Lady Stardust. It's, it's my pleasure. It's my honor. Um, <clears throat> struggle with addiction and depression and bipolarity my whole life. Hey, what's up, Miso? Cat just walked in here. I heard him, yeah. Um, yeah, I heard him earlier. Yeah, he's gone. It's eight o'clock. He said you were gonna feed me. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So you know, I yeah. Thanks for thanks for saying something. You know, it's I just I've just found that the best way to to deal with it sometimes is to share about it and just be transparent about it and and try to not have shame about being different because everybody has something and. Uh, when you when you lock it up and, and you're shameful about it and you don't allow yourself to express it, then that's what's gonna cause some irreparable damage. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, shame is a killer. Shame is a killer. That's great. We all struggle with something, no doubt. Uh, I won't pronounce that, but thank you very much. Appreciate it. Um, I think his yeah. his his question is further down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you see it? I Almost at the it. end. Oh, really? Fourth from the end. Oh, here it is. Okay. Uh, hi, Dave Navarro. Do you remember the snorkeler amp, Bogner modded 800 Marshall you used on the Jane's album and Deconstruction albums? That amp sounded great with your style of playing. Did you ever have that? I, I don't remember. I do remember. I, I, I do. I do. I do remember the Bogner. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember the snorkeler amp, but um, that's what but, it's called. It might have okay. been a Dave Jordan thing. No, he he wasn't on the deconstruction record. No? so no, it was mm -hmm. that might have been a Ron Champagne thing. Maybe. So yeah, I I did like the Wagner's a lot. Cool, awesome. Um, so before we wrap them up, all. <laughs> I think I got them all. I think I did. Before we wrap up, I want to uh, first thank you, Dave, for coming on the show, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, it's, it's, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Um, guys, make sure you check out Sweetwater, please, uh, and click our link below to purchase anything if you if you incline to buy some gear. Uh, we have the contest still for the free guitar uh, that we're giving away for the 20,000 subs. We're 100 away, so we'll probably uh, announce it in the next week or so couple weeks i'd imagine so hit subscribe please all 400 of, of you people watching right now um and i think the next show that we'll have is an ask dave show so we'll schedule that um and i don't have a list of the next guests so we'll just keep keep a lookout on social media for us yeah right. anything i miss dave i don't think so i think i was i was kind of glancing i mean there might be some stuff but Oh, I know there was a lot. There always of, is. There's a lot of questions, and I, apologies to anybody that we didn't get to your questions. Um, but Dave's got Dave's got to go feed his cat. So, <laughs> Miso. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. Is that usually I, I've done a lot of podcasts, and usually it's like someone will call you up and say, "Hey, do you want to come on my podcast?" I'm like, "Sure," and it's like a 20 minute thing. This is two fucking hours. Man. Yeah, like, and, and it goes quick, actually. Yeah, yeah, it did go quick. I will say that. I was just like, whoa. 
when I we talked about Mark yesterday, he's like, ah, it's two hours. I'm like, two hours? Yeah, you were like, like I, I don't think I, I can have I don't know time. two hours. I don't know two minutes about gear. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, didn't know, I didn't know how we were going to get through it. So thanks for helping me out. Yeah, yeah no problem. Thank you. Everybody, have a great weekend. And we will Later, see guys. Hang with us, Dave, right before we hang up. All right. Take care, everybody.